Here's the aim for tonight. To cause the audience to know that to love God is to fear and obey Him by honoring His Word. To love God is to fear and obey Him by honoring His Word. So I'm linking the fear of God. Well, I'm linking love of God to the fear of God um, and obedience and linking all of that to God's Word. To love, that, to love God is to fear and obey Him by honoring His Word. I'll clarify that or, or elaborate a little bit. And I thought of a couple of New Testament references as I was trying to put my thought into, into a sentence. Connecting obedience and the Word and, and uh, these two don't, don't, don't address fear. We'll get to that. But uh, in John 14... John 14, 15, Jesus said, you know, this is in the upper room discourse, John chapters 13 through 17, when Jesus uh, was with his disciples on that last night um, before his crucifixion. But he said in chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Real short, real succinct. It's one of those verses, not hard to understand, <laughs> hard to do. You know, it's real clear. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And just a few verses later in verse 21, he said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. So there's a couple of New Testament expressions of some of what I'm capturing in my aim. Now, but before I get further into that aim, I want to, um, I want to just... See what you guys, how y'all did on uh, the question on page 68, I think it was. It was a, for thought and discussion. I'm, I'm really, uh, it's this question of, um, yeah, the book said, most of the people hearing Moses, hearing Moses' speech in Moab, you know, which is here the book of Deuteronomy, they were either children or unborn when God made the covenant at Sinai. Therefore, what do you think Moses meant in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, when he said, The Lord our God made a covenant with us, the Lord at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Right? So, show of hands. So, so the, here's the two big... Do you think that... Um, that these people that Moses is talking to, were they there or at Sinai uh, or were they not there? Some were children. Some were children. So just did anybody, did, do, do you, uh, so maybe the question is, you know, how did you answer? What did you think he meant? And that's, so, so let me give you the, the, uh, um, if we go to, if you go back to chapter one, flip back to chapter one real quick. This is just one to me. It's one of those biblical difficulties, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Just about three more minutes. But when I read chapter one, it reads: Look at verse, start in verse 22. Um, you know, Moses is recounting back there when they came out of Egypt. 
And he said, Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back. So, it's, you know, and he, Moses is telling these people that you, you people asked me to send out the spies. In verse 26, he says, Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. I remember reading that in chapter 1, and I thought, Wait, wait, wait a minute, Moses. These aren't the people that rebelled against God. It was their parents that rebelled against God. I remember being confused about that. Did y'all see that? Um, verse 27, And you grumbled in your tents. In verse 34, The Lord heard the, heard the sound of your words, and he was angry with you. In, 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 in verse 35, God went on to say, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give to your fathers. So chapter 1, it sounds like somehow Moses is talking to the second generation or some of, you know, the, the, anyway, those that did not die in the wilderness. But he's talking to them like they were the ones who were guilty. So I just wondered if anybody has seen this, contra- this apparent contradiction, this difficulty, and which way you've come down on it. Um, just... Do anybody just a, a show? I don't want to. Do, we're not going to get answers. I, I'm just curious if you've wrestled with that. I disagreed a little bit with the, book, the way the book portrayed it. I think Moses is. I said I think he meant it literally. I really think these people, like some of you probably, they, he's referring to the people they were there, 20 years and younger, and some that weren't these men of war that that sent us. And we'll get into that in the later in subsequent weeks. But I think he's, these people were there. When, when Moses said, God spoke to you face to face, I think he meant that. These people experienced that. Anyway, uh, more to come on that. Now let me go back to, um, is that, anybody conflicted about all that? Okay. All right. So now, again, the second thing I want to just speak to, actually, I'm just going to read you a couple of statements uh, on the question of, remember the, my aim for the whole book, um, to cause the audience to know, to understand the relationship between three things, I think. Remember what those three things are? Grace, Grace law, law, and obedience. I'm still, that is still the main question in my mind and thinking that, that Deuteronomy is going to help me clarify or put together in a better way than I have historically put those three together. Because I think I told you from my New Testament teaching and Romans chapter 6, we are not under the law but under grace. I kind of had law and grace as opposite of each other. You were either under law or you are under grace. I, I didn't. I didn't see them connected to each other in any way. And and Deuteronomy, this study of Deuteronomy is changing my mind on that. And so I want to read you a couple of statements from this commentator that I'm using. I like the way he sets some of these things he says. So he's talking about that um, after the section in our text tonight, uh, chapter 5, where Moses repeats 
the Ten Commandments, also known as the Decalogue. He says uh, a couple of points. He gives three. I'm just going to mention two of these points. Uh, When we ask the question, what is the Christian today to make of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments? Um, So two points I thought were just key, and I just want to give them to you. One is that the, the Ten Commandments were addressed to the redeemed. Not, he says, they weren't given to the Egyptians. They weren't given to the Canaanites. They were given to, to the people of Israel. He says, um, but to the people of God chosen to represent him and proclaim his grace and glory among the nations. He says, the past tense of, of the verb, look at verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. And I think you see, that, see it said the same way if you go back to Exodus chapter 20. He says, see where it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This guy says that that past tense of that verb is neither coincidental nor irrelevant. It reminds all who hear this document of the proper relationship between obedience to the divine will and Yahweh's saving actions. And we've said that we've said that several times that. When, when God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, that he, he reminded them that he was the one who brought them out of Egypt, out of the house, out of the land of slave, out of slavery, bore them on eagles' wings, it says back in Exodus 19. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. So he says the law, including the Ten Commandments, was neither a way of salvation nor a burdensome obligation. So it was neither a way of salvation nor a burdensome obligation. It was a gracious gift, a guide for God's people so that they might knowingly respond to his grace according to his will. So the first thing is that the, the Ten Commandments were given to God's people, not, to, not just the general populace. The second thing he points out is that he said, secondly, the terms of the Decalogue are revealed within the context of the establishment of a covenant relationship. Get this statement right. Yahweh brought Israel to himself before he brought the laws to them. You remember my uh, aim from last week, the key word was response. Our obedience is response to God's grace. God acts first. You know, probably a New Testament... Uh, real succinct expression of this we love because he first loved us that's got to be in first john right (laughs) god loves first god takes the initiative and we respond and so he's saying he says accordingly the israelites were not called primarily to follow a code of conduct but rather to enter a relationship with god that was first and foremost God was calling them to himself before he brought the... And I love the... Let me read it again. I love the way he said this. Yahweh brought Israel to himself before he brought the laws to them. I just love the, the way this guy expresses that. So I just, again, reinforcing this, this, uh, this foundational principle or truth that we see in Deuteronomy, that the law that Deuteronomy is full of, and, you know, and, and over and over and over, Moses is saying, be careful to do. Here, you know, I'm giving you the, these commandments. 
be careful to do them. Even though, even the, the fact that there are curses which Moses is going to give, he's going to be very explicit as we move through the text, through the book. And, you know, if you don't, here are the curses, here are the consequences of not obeying all these commandments. Even with that kind of that negative component to it, the law itself was a gracious gift from God. So, finally, the, the, the third thing I want to talk about then is back, sort of back to my aim. And it's, it's really this, this thought of um, fear. We talked about it in our group. It, it, it's question, um, question three, question two. Question two in the study guide. What attitude did God, uh, toward God, did this experience, this experience at Sinai? Moses is recounting back when, and I'm saying these people were there. A lot of them. Some of them weren't. A lot of them were. They experienced the mountain, the fire, the thunder, the voice of God. They were afraid for their lives. And here's something, and we talk about this in our group a little bit. I had not seen this before. You may have seen and heard of, you know, Moses as a type of Christ. Um, Gene helped us point, he pointed out in our group, that, that particular episode or part of this, that whole experience that Moses brings out in, in Deuteronomy here is, you know, God said, come, Moses, bring, them, bring everybody close to the mountain. I want, to, I'm going to, I want them to hear my voice. Of course, it was fire. It was, you know, it was a scary, frightful thing. So God speaks, and their response was, we can't, we can't deal with that. We're, we're going to die. This fire, we're going to be consumed by this fire. Moses, you go before us. You go, and you hear what God has to say. And you come back and tell us, and we will obey everything you tell us. Because we can't, we will die. That thing will kill us, right? They were literally afraid for their lives. And they, they, they recognized they needed a mediator. They needed someone to go before, between them and, I'm going to say, the wrath of God. That wasn't a, in that instance, it wasn't wrath. It was just his power, his uh and so, and just look real quick, go back, let your eyes go back to chapter 4. We saw it last week, verse 23 and 24. This, this idea of God and fire. Moses says in verse 24, and he's, he's warning, this is in the context, he's warning, don't be careful, don't make a graven image. Verse 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God, and, and they when you know we reread that. I think we read that, and we think figuratively somehow. When Moses said that to these people, they took it literally. They they said, "Yeah, he is a consuming fire." We know exactly what you're talking about. And of course, and we'll read it here in a second. The writer of Hebrews comes back and quotes that very verse to the people, New Testament people. That he's warning at that point when he wrote Hebrews. People that were on the fence, that were wavering. To, you know, they've come to Christ. They, they've at least learned about Christ. They're in the church. Maybe they're believers, maybe not. And they're, they're threatening or one, wavering, maybe going back to, their, to the, the ways of Judaism. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, watch out. We'll get there. Um, we'll get there. So... So there was a component of fear. Now, the other thing that question B asked 
why did God approve of this attitude? And we talked, again, talked about it in our group. Hopefully you did, and if you didn't, that's why I'm going over that, because I just thought this was so, uh, so key to this lesson. God approved of their attitude. They were fearful of him. And he says, this is chapter 5, verse 28, And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, or and I would that they would fear me and keep my commandments always. So, so God approved of their fearfulness. <laughs> I mean, if you had asked me, if you had had me fill in the blanks or kind of write the next few verses of what how God would have reacted to them saying, we, we, you know, God wanted us to come near, but that's too scary. We, we don't want to be near God. I would have thought they'd have been rebuked for that. But, but God says, no, they, they have done well. Verse 28. So God approved it. And the question that our, our study got asked, well, why? Why did God approve it? And I wrote this. God wanted them to have a fear of him that motivated them toward obedience. Because he knew that obedience to him would put them and their descendants in the place of blessing forever. And then it goes to the, it says, well, what about the New Testament? What about us as believers on this side of the cross? What does the New Testament say about this, about fearing God? The question part C to what extent is this is this attitude appropriate for for Christians? So I started reading through the Old Testament because maybe you're like me. I'm thinking, well, fear is not fundamental a part of my relationship to God. I'm not supposed to be afraid of God. I love Romans eight one. There is therefore now how much condemnation? No condemnation. That's a great verse. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and other passages in Hebrews, I was just reading through these, and I had a little revival in Starbucks in Huntsville, Alabama, Saturday morning. Uh, you know, verse Hebrews 4.14. I can't remember if that was one that was given to us. I may have added that to my... Uh, Since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. And of course, uh, let me stay in Hebrews for a second. Chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. So he's this figure, he's th- making them think of the holy of holies and the curtain that came down when, G- when Jesus was crucified. And he says, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near. With a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then the Ephesians passage, Ephesians chapter 3, 11, that was powerful. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness 
and access with confidence through our faith in him. And I'm thinking again back to they saw we, we need Moses to be between us and this consuming fire, this God. And, and the New Testament gospel is that's what we have in Christ. Right. We, we are usher, we are invited. We're exhorted to step right into the Holy of Holies. Right into the throne room of God, the throne of, how did it put it? Um, the throne of grace, Hebrews four sixteen. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Now, but then you keep reading, and let's go, let's, I'm going to close with this little passage here. Because in Hebrews, um, because I see, again, this confidence, and yet this fearfulness. In the same text. So Hebrews 12. In fact, I've got it outlined. Let me just look over here. Um, well, let's let's start. Let's pick. I got to go back to, to chapter 10 just for a second. Because 10, I just read verse 19. That's where he says, Since we have a confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, uh, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. You know, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And let us consider how to stir up one another love and good works. You keep reading, and, and then what does he say? Then he kind of gets to the warning part of it. It's kind of this, and it's not the same, but it's because that's all kind of positive, right? But look at we'll look at the turn in verse this again Hebrews ten twenty six. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And he talks about the law of Moses. Anybody, you set that aside on, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, you could be you would uh, you would die. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people, and he, he concludes verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the writer of Hebrews, I think he's bringing the fear component as a warning to, some, to people who possibly are, they're wavering, right? And so they, need, they were needed to be reminded that it's a fearful thing. And then you get on, and that's chapter 10. You read on, you get to, of course, chapter 11 is the, the, the great, you know, the hall of faith. So chapter 12, therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance. And he talks about that. And he says, um, verse 18. So verse 18, it's all the way through 29. Hebrews, 18, uh, Hebrews 12, 18 to 29, the writer of Hebrews takes, the, takes his audience back to this same event that that Paul, that, uh, that Moses is reminding this second generation of Israelites back to this event of Mount Sinai, this experience. And he says, You've not come to a mountain that may be touched into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom and whirlwind, into the blast of a trumpet, 
and the sound of words which was such which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further words should be spoken to them. He goes on, but you, I'm skipping down to verse 22, but you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. By the, this, this is a text to, to read. I'm going to finish in a second, but if you ever find, if you ever kind of lose sight of, or kind of get a, just a simple, this worldly or uh, uh, an earthly, to use that makes a better word, you know, we're just a bunch of guys, we're just at church. And this, this text reminds us, this thing's way bigger than we typically think about in our typical, just wherever we are on Wednesday afternoon. You know, this guy's saying, look. You, you, you're at Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, myriads of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Oh, and by the way, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So it's like, wait, those folks way back when, they kind of refused. They said, I don't want to, that's too scary. He's saying, look, you're coming to something way more scarier, Don't, but don't refuse it. And he, just, and he concludes, verse 28 and 29, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So, so we're motivated, we're exhorted to offer to God an acceptable service with gratitude. Does that sound like what we're, what, how Moses was charging the people of Israel? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Recognize that God has brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's going to put you in this promised land. So, you know, all this emphasis on the blessing, all that God has done for you and is going to do for you. Therefore, love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fear him, obey him. I see the same logic, the same language, the same concept here in Hebrews with that. But keep in mind, it's kind of, it's not a neutral proposition. There, there is not a thanks but no thanks kind of response. That, that's not one of the options. <laughs> it's loving, you know, it's responding gratitude or face our God who is a consuming fire. So, um, just to restate the aim as, we, as I close up, to love God is to fear and obey Him. Oh, and it's just by honoring His Word, I'm done. But that happened. I just think that in chapter 6, when Moses says, when God, when Moses tells them, so to put this word in your heart and stick it on your forehead and hang it from your, you know, and put it on the post and talk about it with your family when you're going out and when you're coming in and when you're lying down and when you're getting up, it's like, you got to, if we love God, and we want to obey Him, and we understand who He is in His fullness, 
our way to do that is to, it has to, it cannot be disconnected from the Word of God. So I commend uh, you guys for being men who decided to make the study of God's Word a priority. That's why we do it. Because we will not fear God and thus obey God, and we won't love God apart from His Word. This is the vehicle that God gives us, obviously with His Holy Spirit, indwelling us, to open, to take this Word and, you know, what does He say in Hebrews? Last, last word here. The Word of God is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the dividing of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And that's why we that's why we study it. Let me pray for us. Father, it is a sober thing to be reminded that you are, not that you were, you still are a consuming fire. And yet you bid us to come right into your presence through the blood of Jesus. Oh Lord. Would you impress that upon our hearts in new and fresh ways that we would be stirred up to be men who are motivated to love you with all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. Would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen.